Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Thelman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, there's a certain allure, a fascination, even an obsession about considering our aquariums as little closed ecosystems reacting to both, you know, internal and external inputs, stimuli, and environmental pressures. When you think of aquariums in this manner, they become a whole lot less of a, you know, pet-holding container and a whole lot more of a little slice of nature that you're recreating in your home. And of course, the botanical-style aquarium is an expression of this thinking, a microcosm fully dependent upon botanical materials to impactfully affect the environment. Now, one of the aspects of utilizing botanicals in our aquariums that we discuss but can't think enough about is their importance to the microbiome of the aquarium environment. Now, a microbiome, by definition, is defined as a community of microorganisms such as bacteria, fungi, and viruses that inhabit a particular environment. That's from Merriam-Webster. Now, sure, every aquarium has a microbiome to some certain extent. We have the beneficial bacteria, which facilitate the nitrogen cycle and play an indispensable role in the function of our little worlds. The botanical-style aquarium is no different. In fact, this is where I start wondering. It's the place where my basic high school and college elective you know, course biology falls away and you get into more complex aspects of aquatic ecology in aquariums. But it's important to at least understand this concept as it can relate to aquariums. It's worth doing a bit of research and pondering. It'll educate you, challenge you, and make you a better overall aquarist. In this little blog, I can't possibly cover you know, every aspect of this concept, but we can touch on a few points that are quite fascinating and impactful. Now, an interesting place to start is simply a little review about the very composition of the materials that we play with, like seed pods and leaves and such, and how they interact with the aquatic environments that we've created. Now, many seed pods and similar botanicals contain a substance known as lignin, Lignin is defined as a group of organic polymers, which are essentially the structural materials which support the tissues of vascular plants. They're common in bark and wood and, yeah, seed pods, and they provide protection from rotting and structural rigidity. In other words, they make seed pods kind of tough. That being said, they are typically broken down by fungi and bacteria in aquatic environments. Inputs of terrestrial you know, materials like leaf litter and seed pods into aquatic habitats can leach dissolved organic carbon. Uh, carbon. Why don't I say what's carbon? <laughs> dissolved organic carbon. I said carbon. That was weird. Okay, anyway, back to my blog here. Uh, dissolved organic uh, carbon, and they're rich in lignin and cellulose and, and factors like light intensity, mineral hardness, and the composition of the aforementioned bacterial and fungal community sort of all affect the degree to which this material is broken down into its constituent parts in the environment. Hmm, something we've kind of known for a while, right? So lignin is a major component of the stuff that's leached into our aquatic environments, along with that other big player, tannin. Now, much has been written and discussed about this, but we'll just touch on it one more time. Tannins, according to chemists, are a group of astringent biomolecules that bind to and precipitate proteins and other organic compounds. They're in almost every plant around, and they're thought to play a role in protecting the plants from predation and potentially aiding their growth. As you might imagine, they're super abundant in leaves. It's thought that tannins comprise as much as 50% of the dry weight of leaves. Wow, that's a lot. And of course, tannins in leaves, woods, soils, and plant material tend to be highly water-soluble, creating our beloved black water as they decompose. And as the tannins leach into the water, they create that transparent yet darkly stained water that we obsess over, right? In simplified terms, black water tends to occur when the rate of carbon fixation, i.e. photosynthesis, and its partial decay to soluble organic acids exceeds its rate of complete decay to carbon dioxide, which is known as oxidation. So chew on that for a little bit. Really try to wrap your head around it. Do some Googling, read it. It's interesting stuff. 
And sometimes that research that you do on these topics can unlock some interesting tangential information which can be applied to a work in our aquariums. For example, uh, one interesting tidbit I found out was, uh, you know, for those of you weirdos like me who like using, you know, wood leaves and stuff in your aquarium, but you don't, maybe you, you're weird and you don't like the brown water. There's a few of you. You can actually add baking soda to the water that you soak your wood and such in to accelerate the leaching process as more alkaline solutions tend to dry out tannic acid from wood greater and faster than pH neutral or acid water does. Or you can simply keep using your, you know, 8.4 pH tap water. You don't have to be that fancy. So my armchair speculation here is that this might be a good answer as to why some people can't seem to get that super dark visual tint that they want for the long term. Based upon that model, if you have more alkaline water, those tannins are more quickly pulled out. So you might get an initial burst, but the color won't last all that long. I'm speculating, and it's interesting stuff, but it's all part of that little stew we make when we set up a botanical-style aquarium, isn't it? I think that just having a bit more than a superficial understanding of the way botanicals and other materials interact with the aquatic environment, how we can embrace and replicate these systems in our own aquariums, is really important to the hobby. The real message here is to not be afraid of learning about seemingly complex chemical and biological nuances of these blackwater systems, and to sort of apply some of this knowledge to our aquatic practice. Okay, let's think about the biology of these systems for just a bit, and contemplate how some aspects of their composition and function can be applied to our aquariums. As we know from many discussions here, during the rain, you know, the rainy season in the tropics, overflowing streams, you know, flood the forest floors and they accumulate materials which the fish communities utilize for food and shelter. And the materials which fall from the surrounding trees and the banks are major contributors to the, pro you know, the productivity of this ecosystem. As the waters recede a little bit, temporary streams throw, you know, flow through these systems and they become rich, complex ecosystems bristling with life. Now, interestingly, scientists have found that these streams have very little internal production of food sources for the resident fishes. Rather, the food sources come from the materials such as plants, fruits, leaves, and pieces of wood which come from the surrounding terrestrial environment. Oh, and insects too. Lots of insects from the surrounding trees and the shorelines which fall into the water. These materials and these organisms are known as allochthonous inputs in ecology. Materials inputted into, imported into an ecosystem from outside of it. Uh, we've talked about this many times before, and it's a rather interesting point. Essentially, it means that these areas, rich, in, rich habitats that they are, are almost completely influenced by outside materials rather than stuff that came with the water, so to speak. And as one might expect, as more materials fall from the trees in the surrounding dry areas, the greater the abundance of fishes and the other aquatic animals which utilize them is found. Makes sense, right? And materials will continue to fall into the water and accumulate throughout the periods of inundation, maintaining that richness of, that, of the aquatic habitat as others you know, decompose or are acted on by the organisms residing in the water. It's not unlike what happens in an aquarium, right? I mean, we need to get our heads around that, the fact that botanicals are consumable items which need to be regularly replaced as they decompose in order to maintain the environmental consistency that we want. Yeah, it's the jumping off point for another one of my favorite speculative areas in their little hobby specialty. With all these botanicals breaking down in the aquarium as a result of, you know, fungal growth and microorganisms, I can't help but wonder if they perform to some extent a role in the management or enhancement of the nitrogen cycle. In other words, does having a bunch of leaves and other botanical materials in the aquarium foster a larger population of these valuable organisms capable of processing more organics, thus you know, creating a more stable, robust biological filtration capacity in the aquarium? With a, you know, a matrix of all these materials present and the bacteria and their biofilms, as we discussed you know, forever here, uh, have not only a substrate upon which to you know, attach and colonize, but they have an onboard food source which they can utilize as, as they need it, right? 
uh, facultative bacteria, adaptable organisms, which can use either dissolved oxygen or oxygen obtained from food materials like sulfate and nitrate ions, would be capable of switching to fermentation or anaerobic respiration if oxygen is absent. Hmm, fermentation. Think about that for a second. We talked about it before. And I'm not talking about, you know, kombucha either. I'm talking about botanical layers, particularly leaf litter beds in the wild. They offer an interesting study in nutrient processing and food production for the surrounding aquatic ecosystems. And although botanicals, you know, accumulate to significant depth in some areas, the processes which we're fascinated with even occur at surprisingly shallow depths in these in these litter beds. One study of wild leaf litter beds in Amazonia indicated that the majority of the aerobic you know, decomposition probably occurs in the upper 10 centimeters of the leaf litter bed. That's like the very top, as lower material is more tightly packed, which reduces the O2 in diffusion, and it's generally older, which makes sense, and well decomposed. So it's thought that the fermentation process releases acids, specifically acetic acid, which, wait for it, helps reduce the pH substantially within the litter beds. So we have biological processes occurring in the botanical or leaf litter beds, which A, facilitate nutrient processing in the habitat, and B, contribute to the food chain, and C, potentially influence the chemical parameters of the water. That's just like what happens in the wild habitats, isn't it? Obviously, there's some analogous processes and benefits which occur when leaves and botanicals create a similar bed in the closed aquarium. What exactly they are is still the subject of ongoing investigation for us as aquarists. Interesting stuff, a lot for us to do. A little micro rant here, let me divest or diverge for just a second. With so much emphasis being placed on the appearance of our aquariums by some of the newer vendors on the scene, and, and I love you guys, but listen to me, it's important to remind ourselves from time to time that these are there are functional benefits of utilizing botanicals that go far beyond the pretty look or just a place to hide. Yes, it's harder to talk about these things because you actually have to research, maybe dig into some scientific material, practice this stuff for yourself, understand it, and then communicate it to your customers. It's part of the game here. We as vendors can't simply talk up the impact of tannins that the botanicals impart from an aesthetic standpoint and how extreme you know the color they give off is without at least sharing information about some of the important environmental impact they can have on the aquarium, good and bad. We do that here at Tannin. It wasn't easy. I toiled at this stuff for years and you know wrote tedious articles that probably nobody read, but it's a body of work that you can refer to. And you know what? You guys that are getting into the game now, do that too. Add to the rich body of information that we have and that we need in the hobby. Step it up, guys. We're fostering a movement here. It's more than just selling your product. Okay, now that's my little end of my little micro rant here, I guess. But no discussion of botanical benefits would be complete without the usual caveats to be responsible. You know, prepare thoroughly, more move slowly, and observe and test your water. You know, fishes like apistos can be notoriously finicky and even delicate if they're subjected to rapid environmental fluctuations. Blackwater is not some miracle tonic that'll make every fish thrive. We know this, but it can provide some very interesting benefits if applied with common sense. And of course, when switching over your existing inhabited aquarium to a botanical style blackwater aquarium with lower pH and alkalinity, you're making a significant environmental change that can impact the health of your fishes. And you need to move slowly and carefully. It's mandatory. Okay, there's a whole lot to unpack, drawing from a variety of scientific fields like biology, chemistry, and ecology, as well as from our everyday practices as aquarists. Yeah, we still don't know exactly which tannins are important to the water, you know, uh, or imparted to the water, excuse me, by a specific botanical. And for that matter, we don't know which tannins provide what specific effects on fishes or the aquatic environment and what concentrations are found in their natural habitats. We are just scratching the surface on this stuff. And again, it's not necessarily that we're creating a new thing here. 
We're simply seeing a correlation to the processes that we're fostering in our aquariums to what occurs in nature. And we're realizing that we can embrace, study, and benefit from them in our aquarium work. It's pretty cool. I think there's so many different things that we can play with and so many nuances that we can investigate and manipulate in our aquariums to influence fish health and spawning behavior and, you know, hanging, you know, botanical concentrations during different times of the year, uh, you know, changing that up, creating ephemeral aquatic systems and other unique environmental theme displays. There's a lot to do. I think that this could even add a nuance to the typical biotope aquarium, you know, such as creating an aquarium which simulates the, you know, Preto de Eva River in Brazil in October, you know how they like to label things, or whatever, with the appropriate environmental conditions such as water level, amounts of alectonous material, perhaps even the chemical composition. So it go, goes beyond just the diorama kind of thing. Not just an aesthetic representation designed to mimic the look of the habitat, but a functional aesthetic representation of the natural habitat intended to operate like one and you do this on a full-time basis changing it up seasonally that's challenging that's an interesting type of biotope aquarium and it all starts with understanding what's going on in nature and how we can replicate it on a more realistic level in the aquarium like no other time in the aquarium hobby the information the equipment the materials the techniques are all starting to converge and create this really interesting opportunity for all sorts of hobbyists to advance the state of the art of the hobby nuances micro influences subtle steps it's all part of bringing up the biome right Setting the influence of nature on aquatic environments and how to replicate and incorporate these influences into our aquariums is the key. Building a specialized aquatic microcosm in our tanks will unlock so many secrets and lead to amazing breakthroughs with our fishes and a greater understanding of the precious natural habitats from which they come. Stay involved. Stay excited. Stay inquisitive. Stay diligent. Stay resourceful. Stay informed. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tin and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.